This is The Art of Being You, and I'm Rachel Wortman. This podcast brings you inspiration, insights, and practical tools to help you become more like Jesus. Get ready to embrace who God has created you to be. I've got a great episode in store for you today, so without further ado, here is The Art of Being You. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Welcome to the Art of Being You. It is February, and I am so excited to continue our pretty much annual tradition of February talking about relationships, and today we're going to be talking about marriage, specifically three keys to having a great marriage. I have been, I I can't even believe this actually, but I've been married almost 19 years, so we have just crossed the 18 and a half year mark on our marriage, and um, my mind is just blown by how fast it goes by. So uh, we've learned a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two, to quote that famous commercial. And I'm going to be honest with you, there are more than three things you need to do to have a good marriage. Um, But these are the three we're going to talk about today. So three keys to having a great marriage. And I want to say up front that me telling you this is not saying that we have never struggled or that we have never had difficult times. I mean, if you know me personally, you know that's the farthest thing from the truth. My husband and I are both very strong, very independent people, and we love each other, um, but we have not always enjoyed the challenges that marriage brings. But thankfully, by the grace of God, we are doing probably the best we've ever done. And to me, that's the testimony of what a good marriage is supposed to be. It's supposed to get better and better and better, even though very, you know, not very many of us actually experience that. So let's talk about how to help your marriage become better and better and better. And that is with key number one. This is so important and it's probably going to sound cliche, but give me just a minute to unpack this for you. The first thing you've got to do if you want a good marriage marriage is you have to put Jesus first. You have to. You have to put Jesus first. I love this quote a pastor said. They asked him, you know, what's the secret to a long marriage? I think he'd been married something like 35 or 40 years at this point. And he said, the key is that I love Jesus more than I love my wife. And she kind of laughed and she responded the same. Yeah, I love Jesus more than I love my husband. Why does that matter? Because it is the foundational principles of the kingdom that compel us to continue to go forward in our marriage. There are days where I'm just like, I'm feeling selfish and I'm feeling fed up and I'm feeling tired of having my life, you know, be intertwined with somebody who's not perfect. And I'm sure my husband could say the exact same thing about me. Neither one of us are perfect. But when you put Jesus first, it challenges you to have a standard for what marriage is supposed to be. Let me just say it to you this way. Your marriage is a reflection of heaven on earth or it's supposed to be a reflection on heaven about heaven on earth. A lot of us don't see this because we don't put Jesus first. Now, you might say to me, well, Rachel, what do I do if my husband doesn't want to put Jesus first or my wife doesn't want to put Jesus first, but I do? Well, I would say you continue to love them, you continue to pray for them, and you continue to put Jesus first. Now, remember, what does Jesus do with people who aren't super excited about knowing him? He doesn't beat them over the head with what they should or shouldn't be doing. He loves them. It is his kindness that leads them to repentance, right? So we put Jesus first. Now that's a, you know, 
something, a challenge, I guess, for people who already are married. If you're not married and you're listening to this, I cannot implore to you strong enough to be careful who you marry. Marriage is very difficult. And the first, you know, five or 10 years are challenging, but they're, but they're like also doable. And when you get to that seven, eight, nine year mark, when you start to think about this is the rest of my life and I'm not going anywhere, it can become very difficult when the person that you're partnered with doesn't have the same value system as you. This is why the Bible says to not be unequally yoked. It's also not just about, you know, not marrying people who aren't believers, but it's about marrying people who have the same vision as you, who have the same desire as you, who have the same wants as you. That's so, so important. So when we put Jesus first, what we're doing is we are saying this marriage is going to be a kingdom marriage. It's going to be a marriage that reflects the love of God, even if it kills me in the process. And guess what? It's supposed to. Okay, not a literal death, but a spiritual death. I love the quote. There's a book called um, Sacred Marriage, and I love this quote. It says, what if marriage isn't for happiness, but for holiness? And I think it's both, just my own personal opinion. I think it's for both. But I think there's a reality that is true, that when we have a kingdom marriage, then we understand that our spouse is fundamentally called by God to help us become more like Jesus. And that's not always a pleasant experience. So a couple of practicals of things that you can do to put Jesus first in your marriage. Confess and repent when you need to. Sometimes we just say, you know, I'm sorry, I mean, we kind of leave it at that, but actually practice biblical repentance, which is what? It's actually turning and doing it differently next time. One of the ways that we put Jesus first in our marriage is by praying together, not just praying over your spouse, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, but praying together. My husband and I, you know, when we're facing challenges or even when we're facing just, you know, things that we feel God's called us to, we'll just join hands. And it doesn't have to be this long prayer. A lot of our prayers together are like 30 seconds. It's just a moment of, of combining our faith together, of being in unity together and saying, Lord, we're asking this of you. Father, we're asking that you help us in XYZ. When we're having a conflict that's really difficult, you know, and it's really painful to work through, which does happen, what do we do? Well, we we invite Jesus into that conversation. How do you put Jesus first in your marriage? One of the ways that that happens is by you prioritizing your own personal growth with God. You can't just expect your spouse to do all the growing and kind of drag you along. It just doesn't work that way. So the first key is going to be to put Jesus first. And I recognize that that sounds like really cliche, but I really challenge you, if you don't feel like you're doing this, take a moment and just make a list of what you think it would look like for Jesus to be more present in your marriage. What would it look like for your marriage to more accurately reflect the kingdom of God? What would need to change? Maybe it's the way you speak to one another. Maybe it's the jokes that you say to one another. Like in our family, you know, we have a rule that we don't do name calling. We don't do any name calling. So even if we're in an argument, you know, we're not saying things like you're so stupid. Oh, you blankety blank, because that's demeaning. It's not honoring. And those thoughts might go through our minds, but they don't come out of our mouths. Why? Because we have a kingdom marriage because Jesus is first. Do I want to say those things sometimes? Okay, maybe I do want to. But I don't because, again, I love Jesus more than I love my husband. I'm going to stand before God at the end of my life, and Jesus is going to hold me accountable. And you know what he's not going to say? He's not going to say, Rachel, I totally understand because your husband was being a goofball and, you know, you were justified in that. No. 
He's going to say, did you receive from me the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that, that I gave to you? Did you receive from me the peace? Did you receive from me the breakthrough? And that's going to be a question that I alone can answer. I'm not going to be able to blame anybody, my childhood trauma, my spouse, my day, the circumstances, none of it. It's going to be about whether or not I encountered Jesus. So we're going to put Jesus first. Second thing that we're going to do to have a great marriage is we're going to choose each other. We're going to preference each other. My husband is my best friend. I love spending time with him. But, you know, for us, we are kind of lucky because we started our relationship as best friends um, that grew into something more. And I think that gave us a foundation that is really fun and unique. And, you know, he is my person. Whether I want to feel like his wife or not doesn't matter because I always want to be his best friend and I want him in my life. But we have to choose each other. There are times where people come in into our life that we really enjoy being around, that we have, you know, fun conversations with that, you know, like, for example, my brother is one of my best friends and my brother gets me on a level that my husband doesn't. You know, it's just different. We have the same kind of humor, like we can just not even say things and just start crying, laughing because we're having the same thought. And I don't do that with my husband hardly ever. It's just not his personality. So if I'm not making the choice to choose him first, then I can start to get things from the people around me that I actually should be getting from my spouse. Does this make sense? Like it's so important to make sure that we are choosing to put our spouse in the place of most important for us. Now, I'm not saying that you can't have life-giving and fun relationships outside of your marriage. You need that to be a healthy person, but you've got to choose each other. You've got to choose each other. And one of the ways that you do that is in um, forgiveness. It's in the understanding that this person is going to be with you for life, God willing, And that relationship matters the most. So even in childhood, like in uh, parenting, right? Even in parenting, we choose our spouse first. The other night at our dinner table, the kids were asking, we were asking some fun questions and my kids started asking my husband, who's your favorite, uh, what was the best day of your life? And um, my husband said, no question, marrying your mom. And the kids were like, well, wouldn't there be five best days of your life? Because there's four kids, right? So each of our births and then marrying mom. And we were like, no, the best day was when we became one, when we got married. Yes, you guys matter, but we matter more, right? And we didn't say it quite like that, but we don't actually have a kid-centric home. I don't know if you're familiar with this idea, but there's like a a thing out there where people have a very kid centric home, which means the kids needs and wants and schedules dictate what happens in the home. And we don't actually have that in our home. My husband and I, our life dictates what happens in the home because everybody else is a child. They are not, you know, they are the center of our heart, but they're not the center of our world. And I think it's important for them to grow up understanding that the world does not bend to their every whim. So they don't get to pick what they want for dinner every night. They don't get to, you know, dictate how our family, like our family eats dinner because we choose to do that every single night together. And we schedule their sporting things and their classes and their extracurriculars around that because that's a priority. Now, I'm not shaming you if you don't do that, but for us, that's one of the ways that we choose each other is we have not put the kids over the value of our own relationship. 
Does that mean we have a date night every week? Actually, for us, no, we don't have a date night every week. We're together. We work together. Um, we spend a lot of time together. We actually right now do a lot of date lunches. In previous seasons, we've done a lot of date breakfasts, go drop the kids off, and then we go to brunch somewhere, just the two of us. Because at nighttime, it's just a whole different thing, right? You got to pay a babysitter, you got to um, make sure they can get to bed on time and all of that. And that's just not always practical in our season of life. But what is practical is always making sure that we choose each other. Every single day, we want to connect on a deep level. And that's one of the ways that we protect our marriage. So we're going to put Jesus first. And the second key is we're going to choose one another. And the third thing that we're going to do, and this is a big one, is we're going to set accurate expectations. If I could like make you guys repeat after me, I would set accurate expectations. You guys, if you go back on the podcast and listen to previous episodes where I talk about marriage, you will hear my journey of how I learned that I was not setting reasonable expectations on my husband or accurate ones either. I wanted him to be something that he was fundamentally not. He wasn't that way when we were dating. He wasn't that way when we were married. It's just not his personality. Here's an example. My husband, God bless him, is very introverted. Now, if you know him in real life, you'd probably say, I don't believe that because he's a great people person. He has a very gregarious and warm personality, but he has to have a couple of hours by himself every day or else he cannot function. And so what that has looked like in our life is he usually gets up very early in the morning. So for the bulk of our 18 and a half years of marriage, most mornings I'm alone and he has already left before I even wake up. Now, of course, I could wake up earlier, you know. But one of the things that I wanted out of a spouse was what I thought I wanted, I guess, was somebody who was going to be with me all the time and who, you know, fed off of my energy in the same way that I feed off of them. In other words, I thought I wanted to marry an extrovert. For whatever reason, very few of us extroverts do marry other extroverts. So I don't know why I, you know, didn't think this through as a 19, 20 year old girl. But the thing is, I cannot have an accurate expectation on my husband if it is something he fundamentally cannot do. So one of the things that I had to adjust if I wanted to have a healthy marriage was to make space for him to have more time away from me. And I'm thinking, but don't you love me? Don't you enjoy me? Like, you know, why can't you be energized around me? And what I realized is it has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with me. And so vice versa, you know, my husband would say like he has to make the choice because we're choosing one another to allow me to be super extroverted and externally process things that he probably would not really want to hear about because he also is meeting my needs in that. So we set accurate expectations for one another. When it comes to, you know, romantic holidays like Valentine's Day, right? Valentine's Day is a real landmine for most people, which I think is kind of comical that we still do it and we still participate in it when single, you know, people who are in a single season are frustrated by Valentine's Day. A lot of married couples are also frustrated by Valentine's Day. It's a challenge. But when we set accurate expectations, we actually liberate our view of our spouse to be more like how God created them to be. So here's an example of this. When you pray for your spouse, do you pray for your spouse? I hope you do. But when you pray for your spouse, are you praying blessings over them or are you praying transformation? This is a big deal because a lot of times we actually, you know, we say, well, yeah, I I want my husband to be himself or I want my wife to be herself. But then when we pray for them, we're praying that they would be transformed into something else that we like more, right? Right. 
But I think one of the better ways to pray and one of the better ways to see them accurately is to pray God's blessing over them for who they are, regardless of whether they change into the image that we want or not. Because God is in your marriage. When you unite yourself to somebody else, God is in that relationship. And so we have this opportunity to see our spouse as God sees them. Remember, your spouse is God's child. I mean, sometimes when I want to gripe or complain about my marriage, I have to stop and go, but you know what? This is God's son that I'm talking about. This is like somebody who matters to the Lord. I want to really be careful about how I speak about him, how I think about him, the expectations that I put on him. I want them to be actually achievable. You know, it's interesting over the last couple of years when I really let this part of me go, this part that just needed, you know, just was sort of hell bent for lack of a better word to to conform my husband into this better version of himself that I had seen and imagined. I I had this big turning point where I just said, Lord, I just want to love him as he is. I want to love him as you created him to be. And man, I never dreamed that we could have the relationship that we have now by letting go of those images and those expectations of what I thought he should be that I thought would make me happy. Do you know why that that fails and why it's faulty? Because our happiness is fleeting. Our happiness is not guaranteed. What is guaranteed is the overflowing, abundant love of God and the grace of God at work in our lives. So my challenge to you is, can you see your spouse as God sees them? Can you see them as who they are in Christ? And they might be still becoming that person as well. But what would it look like for you to treat them with the honor and the respect and the love and the care and the tenderness as if they were doing something significant for the Lord with their life, which they are, right? We hope they are. So when we think about these three keys to a great marriage, again, there's so many more than these three um, that are you know important to include. But if we're just talking about the basics, the bedrock, then we're talking about putting Jesus first, choosing one another, and setting accurate expectations to be able to see this beloved person in the eyes of Jesus, through the eyes of Jesus. So I want to encourage you to pray over your spouse, pray over them, and ask the Lord to bless them richly, to protect them, to keep their heart close to God. Ask God that he would shower them with his favor, that he would meet them when they spend time with Jesus, that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that they would walk in holiness and purity and and contentment, that they would be, you know, so enamored with who Jesus is that it would overflow out of their life. These are the kind of things that we should be praying for our spouse, right? And if your spouse is not in a place where they can pray that for you, pray that over yourself. Lord, let me be the kind of wife or the kind of husband that that um, really honors you with this marriage. And if you've never done this before, my parting thought for you is, you know, maybe listen to this again with your spouse and then take a moment to just dedicate your marriage to the Lord. Look, unless you are in like an abusive relationship or some kind of like very difficult dynamic, your marriage is is in a covenant with God in a way where God wants to do something unique through it. He wants to do something significant through it. And so when we talk about this, what I'm saying to you is, have you looked at your marriage through that lens, that it is a reflection of heaven on the earth? And have you dedicated your union with your spouse to the Lord? What does that mean? That's just a simple prayer of saying, God, our marriage is designed to be a reflection of you, and we dedicate our time to do that. 
We want that. We want to, you know, partner with you in this way and in the reason why you created marriage in the first place. So I'm praying for you. I'm praying blessings over your marriage. I know that probably most of you just statistically that are listening to this are struggling in your marriage. You're having frustrations that you wish, you know, weren't there. Um, and I would say to you that that's normal, but do these three exercises and really challenge yourself to move through it. I'm not saying we're perfect. I mean, heck, just a couple of months ago, we were in a pretty difficult place in marriage. But doing these three things, putting Jesus first, choosing one another, and resetting our expectations has worked wonders for us. And it has over and over again over the almost two decades that we've been together, which is like, wow, I cannot believe it's been that long. So all of that to say, you can do this. If you're single and you're listening to this, look for a husband or a wife that can help do these things with you. And if you're married, I'm praying for you to have the best marriage of your life. Until next time, be blessed. You've just listened to another episode of The Art of Being You. My goal is to empower you to embrace the goodness of God over your life and step into that abundant life that can only be found in Jesus Christ. And did I mention that I'd love to connect with you? Find me on Facebook and Instagram at Rachel Wartman and on TikTok at The Rachel Wartman. You can find more resources, including my books and other teachings at rachelwartman.com.